see gold. I see nothing but air. Hello, welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. This is Series 1, Episode 3. We're going to be talking all about what gives cryptocurrencies value. I'm Matthew Housebarby, here today, as ever, with my co-host, the ever-reliable Austin Knight. Hey, Matt. Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to start out by defining what actually makes something a currency on a fundamental level. It may seem a little intricate, but it's really important to understanding the broader context of cryptocurrency and how it works. And then to make it more tangible for you, we're going to walk through some comparisons that you can relate to, like how Bitcoin compares to gold, the actual metal, not Bitcoin gold. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, we're going to put to rest some of the myths around this discussion. Of course, you've probably seen on TV and in articles, things saying, oh, you know, it's not backed by anything. It doesn't have any real value. And it actually turns out that it could, very well could be, depending on how you view it, backed by more than any of the currencies that we actually use today which is very compelling. (laughs) It's provocative. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's jump into it. The first thing we want to cover off is like what actually makes something a currency? This is a very like top level thought and something that monetary theorists have tried to really drill down and make clear definitions around. And one of the best ways I've seen this broken down is with these these five core pillars of what defines a currency. When I talk about currency, I'm not talking about a cryptocurrency or a fiat currency. I'm talking about like one layer above that, like what is money? So the first pillar here is fungibility. And this is the ability to exchange one unit of the currency for another. So they have to be completely identical in value to do this. So if I have a five pound sterling note and I swap that five pound sterling note for someone else's five pound sterling note, their five pound sterling note has to be worth exactly five pound sterling. There can't be like differences in this because they're not able to be exchanged at a completely equivalent value. That's the first one. The second principle is scarcity. So there has to be a limited supply of the currency. And as we described a little bit earlier, this is actually the case for things like gold Mm -hmm. and things like Bitcoin as well. There is a limited supply in the world of actual gold. And there is also a limited supply of Bitcoin, about 21 million. Both need to be mined. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. (laughs) And what's interesting is that you also have things that feel like currencies that actually are currencies like the US dollar, but there isn't completely a limited supply of that. So you get into some weird situations there where it's like, wait, like, is Bitcoin more of a currency than some of the currencies that we actually have today? Oh, for sure. And then the third one is durability. This in short, is basically that the currency itself must stand the test of time and weather. Like, Bitcoin can't just get rained on and then it's gone. It's the same with gold. It has to be able to stand, like, harsh weather conditions. And the same with any dollar notes, for example. They, they can't just get wet and disintegrate. They, they have to be durable. The fourth principle is transferability. You need to be able to take 
one unit of that currency and transfer it to another owner. So I take my physical dollar and I give it to Matt. That dollar now belongs to Matt. This is a fundamental aspect of any currency. And crypto actually makes this easier than ever. Oh, yeah. So in that tangible example that I gave, I take $1 and I give it to Matt. He now has that dollar. In tech and with digital assets, sometimes this can get really complex and convoluted. For example, a lot of people might not know this, but when you send an email with an attachment, that file that you're attaching to that email, when you send that to somebody and they receive that file, they're not actually receiving the original file that you sent. They're receiving a copy of that file. Yeah. With Bitcoin <laughs> though, when you send somebody a Bitcoin, they are receiving that actual Bitcoin. Even though it was a digital transfer, it is fully transferable. You're taking that one Bitcoin, not copying it, it's that one Bitcoin, and you're giving that to your recipient. Oh yeah, I mean, if we could send copies of Bitcoin, that would, oh, that, boy. I would be way richer, that would be great. But unfortunately, alas, we cannot. So the, the, the final and fifth pillar here is divisibility. This is the, the currency itself should be able to be divided into smaller fractions. So let's use the euro or let's use the US dollar. You can take one euro and you can break it up into 100 cent, same as the dollar. Same with pound sterling, you can break that up into 100 pennies. And with Bitcoin, you can do the exact same. And I'm using Bitcoin as an example here, but this is for cryptocurrency as a whole. As it stands, the cent version of Bitcoin is Satoshi's. So the cool thing about Bitcoin though is you can have up to eight decimal places of a Bitcoin. So you can have like 0.00000001 and that's one Satoshi and that's of a Bitcoin, right? So here's where it gets even more interesting. A simple change of a line of code could increase that and it would have no impact. So when you start thinking about, okay, we can actually do super micro transactions here to the eight decimal place of a Bitcoin. I can send that money to someone else. That shows how divisible it is. Way more divisible than other fiat currencies. Fun little fact that you brought up there and sort of went right past is that the eighth decimal place of a Bitcoin is a Satoshi. What's the significance of that? Hmm. Yeah, that is that is an interesting point. So. This is something that we we didn't even touch on really when we talked about what Bitcoin was, but Bitcoin was created by a woman, man, group of people that went under the pseudonym of Satoshi Nakamoto. This was a made up pseudonym and we actually to this day have no idea who the real person or persons behind the original code that was created for Bitcoin is. And that's where the original Satoshi name came from. This is like one thing that adds a lot of mystery to Bitcoin, which is like super interesting, but is also probably the, the core reason for its sustained success is because it became truly decentralized. No one owned it. Satoshi went into darkness after like three or four years of running Bitcoin and it now runs on its own. And there is no one sitting at the head of the table anymore, right? And that's something that's incredibly interesting, probably another rabbit hole we could fall into and start discussing. But 
very fun story to think about. And there's all kinds of articles trying to figure out who Satoshi Nakamoto is. I think my favorite one was that uh, there was a there was a story broke in 2017 that Elon Musk was Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> Highly believable, all right? Like it really is. He invented literally everything, it turns out. <laughs> you know, there's also nobody at the helm of gold. There's nobody that controls gold, the mineral, uh, which Mr. makes- Mr. Gold does not exist. <laughs> I, I thought it was like the Monopoly man who just owns yeah, gold, Yeah, exactly, right? yeah. exactly. And so that, that makes an interesting sort of parallel in a weird way, even though decentralization sounds like a new thing, if you think about it, our oldest currencies were in a lot of ways decentralized and not controlled by a single entity, while some people may have tried. And so you get some interesting comparisons between how Bitcoin is valued and how gold is valued. How does that work? Yeah, I think that's like so much more accurate to compare Bitcoin to gold, the precious metal, than the US dollar, in all honesty. Like, even when we look at things like divisibility, right, you can break up solid gold into tiny fractions and you can sell that. It's used in jewelry and all sorts, and that's what gives it value, right? And for those that didn't know, the US dollar used to actually be backed by real gold. Right, exactly. It's, there's there's some logic to this. There is for sure. And I think Bitcoin itself is valued in a similar way. In fact, a lot of people call Bitcoin digital gold. And that's primarily because of the fact that one of the core utilities, that's the main use case that people associate with Bitcoin as being a store of wealth. People buy gold to preserve their wealth and store it for a period of time because rather unlike Bitcoin, the valuation of gold is relatively stable and doesn't fluctuate a whole lot. However, it's ultimately determined by the price that the last person is willing to pay for it, which is exactly how Bitcoin is valued. And that's also another thing where during times of economic, political crisis, in particular times of war, things like gold surges. You look at the price of gold and basically put some key milestones around things like 9-11, when Iraq was invaded, the many different Syrian wars, gold surged because people wanted to lock their wealth up into something that wasn't ultimately backed just by a state, but is something that they can hold and transfer a lot easier and store wealth in for a longer period of time. We feel safer when we don't trust our government or the people that are at the helm of these currencies by putting our wealth into something that they can't control. As another modern example that hits really close to home for myself and for a good deal of my friends who happen to be from Venezuela is the, the recent political situations with Nicolas Maduro and how they have suffered from extreme inflation, total collapse of industry, and people can't get out of the country. They can't get out of this situation because their wealth is tied up in a currency that has no value at this point. Yeah, it's and I think people are running towards cryptocurrencies as a potential solution to some of this. Interestingly enough, there was there was a news story I've been reading in in January 2018 broke around actually Nicolas Maduro who's launched a cryptocurrency that is backed by oil, the one of the the assets that Venezuela has in abundance and is trying to have this adopted by several different countries, even though Venezuela's own parliament have declared the cryptocurrencies trading and possession as, as illegal. 
interesting as that develops and coming not to get off on a tangent too much but more and more states and countries i think are looking at potentially adopting their own blockchain solution cryptocurrency maybe not in the ethos of cryptocurrency being so decentralized but also having like a state-backed version of a digital currency i know india were looking at that uh, estonia at one point looking to do a similar thing so all of these things are contributing towards more adoption which creates more news stories which creates more interest which ultimately fuels an increase in price and for that matter speculation of price which is a lot of what drives the value of gold is people speculating oh i think the value of gold is going to go up so i'm going to buy gold and then that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and that's what we we've seen especially in recent months happen with bitcoin there's speculation that it's going to go up and thus the value goes up yeah i remember a number of years ago now mount gox in the earlier days of bitcoin this was the largest exchange cryptocurrency exchange that existed and it was where a lot of people stored a large amount of their bitcoins this was kind of a lot of more trust in the exchanges back in those days and mount gox without going into all the details was ultimately shut down lots of people lost a ton of bitcoin off the back of this bitcoin's price actually dropped over 23% almost overnight people were losing their minds at this point and panic selling which again fuels this drop in pricing like fortunately for anyone that did hold out that storm they've they've ended up pretty well but it, it's another huge piece that clearly shows the impact that speculation and news stories etc are having this is one of the cool things about investing in crypto is that while it is good to understand on an intimate level how crypto works and what's happening in these inner circles of devs that are working on the blockchain itself you can also pay attention to more obvious things mm -hmm. that will be indicators of the value of the crypto like its use cases how easy it is to obtain for example hypothetically if in 2018 amazon were to start running transactions or accepting transactions in bitcoin this would dramatically increase the value of bitcoin because now its use case has expanded uh, it can also be impacted by legislation when china made moves to shut down cryptocurrency within their borders we saw the value of cryptocurrency all across the board in particular dropped. neo which was a cryptocurrency that was basically branded as being the Chinese version of Ethereum. And Ethereum is another big cryptocurrency we're going to come on to in episode eight. But a lot of the Asian cryptocurrencies really suffered around that time, but completely recovered when China kind of reversed some of their statements that they made. And I, th I think one of the things in amongst all this while we talk about it is to always think about when you read news stories around cryptocurrencies, what are the vested interests in the people that are making the decisions? I'm not saying there is an evil conspiracy behind every single thing. I'll just take my tinfoil hat off for a moment. But there are a lot of things that you can do at this early stage to create speculation, which can spread you know, fear, uncertainty, doubt around the market, spook people, and for newer cryptocurrencies. 
where they are a little bit more volatile in their earlier stages, that that can be a big thing. It can kill them. It, it can. And, and we were talking earlier, I mean, for relatively new cryptocurrencies, especially in 2016, 2017, just simply having a cryptocurrency added onto an exchange was like an enormous thing that boosted the price just because people could access it easier. Or even when, for example, Vertcoin, when they got added into being able to be stored within a Ledger Nano wallet, that spiked the price because people could now store it easier. That's the level that we're at with some of the speculation, right? We're we're so early at this point. I I liken it to being in like the early 90s of the internet. We'll dive into this when we talk about the blockchain in more depth, but arguably the blockchain, which is the technology that cryptocurrency runs on, is the most important innovation since the internet. But we're still in the dial-up days. <laughs> at so, best. <laughs> at best, at best. So you can buy domains, or you, in this case, you can buy coins, tokens for small amounts of money, but the use case isn't totally there in the same way that in the early dot-com days, the use case for domains wasn't totally there. There's non-believers, entire governments that felt like the internet was a threat or something that didn't belong. Uh, corporations, of course, had vested interests in going against that until eventually there was no going back. And it was very much happening. And the entire infrastructure of the internet changed to be more accessible and usable. A lot of these were just design problems. Right. And then all of a sudden you have dot-com millionaires. Yeah. Pets.com. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I bought it. <laughs> well, and, and, and that is kind of some of the level that, that we're at. To, to kind of rein this back in before we go off on too much of a tangent, I think one of the, the other things to think about when we talk about Bitcoin and gold is also probably the most striking resemblance between one another, or similarity, should I say, is its scarcity, right? The, I think I, I saw a stat where if you took the entire amount of gold that exists in the world, it will fill three and a half Olympic-sized swimming pools, and that's it. That's wild. Wow, that is <laughs> that is bizarre. Yeah, it's crazy, right? And that is actually how much gold exists in the world. And similarly with Bitcoin, you only ever have 21 million Bitcoins that are ever going to exist. Now, if we get to the point where it's the year 2140, roughly when all of Bitcoins will be released into circulation, there's a lot more than 21 million people in the world. And... I would say that the added scarcity of Bitcoins will probably influence its value. I mean, when all the gold is mined in the world, it's definitely going to become way, way more precious. And that's where like mining operations for solid gold like can create huge amounts of wealth. Like you just talk about the gold rush days, right? And it's all driven by scarcity. And that's a that's a key thing here. Now the only other thing here, when we talk about scarcity, we're ultimately talking about demand that's attached to that. One of the big criticisms that I hear around things like Bitcoin, as an example, but a lot of cryptocurrencies is, what purpose do they serve? Like, is this just a store of wealth? Like, why is it better than gold then? And is there no other utility? Is it going to be used as a payment method? Some people are saying, well, you know, Bitcoin's transaction fees are too high. We'll come on to that in a separate episode. So it can never be used completely as a payment method. And if that's the case, 
like, what is its use case? And for a long time, I kind of rationalized this with, well, you know, what's the utility of gold? And I actually had a really interesting discussion with someone on this on Reddit where the, the person in question said to me, well, Matt, you know, there is a use case for gold. It's used in manufacturing. It's used for jewelry. There, there are actual reasons why you need gold as a manufacturing application. I guess the question that we need to find out is, okay, maybe Bitcoin doesn't need to be the de facto payments method digitally. Is a store of wealth enough to create enough value and demand for it? And I think there are a lot of other cryptocurrencies that are saying, no, it's not enough. And they're developing use cases that go much further beyond being a store of wealth. I think that Bitcoin became the de facto store of wealth because it was first. Yep. And also because it is worst. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, it is a old technology. It is the transactions are slow. I love that we say like Bitcoin is an old technology. Yeah. It's like 2009. <laughs> God. <laughs> but, but I think the, the thing that's attached to that though is like one of the key things without going too deep into blockchain technology is the longer that a blockchain has been running, the more transactions that it's been processing and the longer it's existed, the more secure it becomes. Because in short, to hack a blockchain, let's say that it, it, it is possible, you need to change all of the transaction histories from the beginning of when it happened. Now, the longer it's been around, the more difficult that becomes. So this is another piece in here that, yeah, Bitcoin has become the de facto store of wealth digitally because it's the most trusted technology. Will that last forever? I don't, I don't know, because in 30, 40 years, I mean, having something that was started in 2009 versus 2011 kind of pales into insignificance. Yeah. These technologies, the newer, more recent blockchains, a lot of them are built off of the Bitcoin blockchain as an iteration. They're forks, which we'll discuss oh, yeah. in our in our. There's block- a can of worms. <laughs> yeah. That's a can of worms. So one of the questions to be asking yourself at this point is how do you balance the inherent value of Bitcoin because it was the first and it has the most media coverage and it checks off a lot of those core boxes for a currency that we discussed with the underlying technology and reconciling yourself with the fact that Bitcoin's underlying technology probably isn't the best and there are competitors that have much better underlying technology. What's ultimately going to win out? There probably won't be a single winner. It's going to be a shared market with a lot of different use cases. I believe so. Yeah. One debate is like, which cryptocurrency will win the the cryptocurrency war? Uh, And I I don't really like to think in absolutes like that with the cryptocurrency market. It's kind of, yeah, that kind of shaped out with the search engine market with Google. But for a long time, we had a ton of disruption that comes in. And I would imagine if we were talking in 2005, everyone would be like, well, you know, no one could kill Yahoo. Uh, (laughs) I mean, that's, that's changed a lot. But I think there is a lot of space for multiple different cryptocurrencies. And the reason why we say many more cryptocurrencies and blockchains have come in that are better than Bitcoin is because Bitcoin was like V1. And people have looked at Bitcoin and either built on top of it or created whole new things that basically add new features to this, Ethereum being a big one that we're going to chat about. But to bring this back a little bit, what I find quite interesting is there are a lot of parallels with gold. And when we talked about those five key pillars of what makes something 
a currency, fungibility, scarcity, durability, transferability, divisibility. You kind of tick a lot of boxes with gold and also with cryptocurrencies there. But when you kind of compare that with fiat currencies, right, you, you do this with the US dollar, right? Let's, let's look at scarcity. You, you can't just print more Bitcoins, but you can do that with the US dollar. You can't tear up a Bitcoin, but you can do that with a US dollar. Bitcoins can be passed with ease across borders. In fact, Bitcoin's ultimately a borderless technology. It doesn't matter whether you're in Ethiopia or whether you're in England or USA or within Brazil. You transfer it in the same way, very different with the US dollar. And the last piece there is divisibility. Cryptocurrencies are so much more divisible and it makes, in my opinion, fiat currency seems so much more inferior when you start thinking about how much it can be divided down into ultimately two decimal places versus Bitcoin, which is eight, and other cryptocurrencies, which are way, way more divisible. Creates a pretty compelling argument when you just look at how Bitcoin should be justified and other cryptocurrencies should be justified as a currency versus fiat currencies, which are probably the only other differentiating factor being one is controlled by the state, which I'm not a massive fan on. Neither am I. And I think that history would agree with us. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So hopefully within this, we've given you at least some idea to what actually gives a cryptocurrency a value. And one thing to bear in mind in amongst all of this is this space is going to change, evolve. There's going to be 100% more dips in the prices across the board. There'll probably be another crash at some point. There'll probably be another crazy period where there's like 100x gains, right? But in amongst all of this, the, the thing as an investor or someone that's interested in cryptocurrency needs to understand is like, why is the price moving? And my best advice is just to really stay up to date on all the news. Probably my best advice would be to keep listening to this specific podcast, right? And there are a bunch of other great podcasts out there, some good news websites, but just question the motives of any news that you're actually listening to. I would also bear in mind that as you build faith in this technology and come to understand it, you can get a better sense for why it's moving, what the determining factors are there. And you start to remember that there was also a dot-com bubble. And yeah. a lot of people lost money in that. That was not a reflection on the extreme importance of the internet as an innovation. And in the same way that there will be fluctuations in cryptocurrencies uh, and maybe even a bubble, who knows? Right. It is in no way a reflection on the extreme importance and significance of the blockchain as an innovation. 100%. I, very well put. I think that's the key thing that for a lot of tech enthusiasts and people that ultimately as well want to reshape the world, to, the world of politics and how economies are run is this is not about Bitcoin. This is about blockchain and distributed ledger technology, which is the collective term for blockchain and surrounding technologies. That is the innovation. And with that, 
What we're going to touch on in the next episode is how to understand mining itself. In episode two, we talked to you about how you could actually go and own your cryptocurrencies. This episode, now you can understand how it's valued. And then the next one is going to be understanding how the whole network itself is powered. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and want to show your appreciation to myself and Matt, give us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform. We really appreciate that. You can also visit thecoinoffering.com to learn more about cryptocurrencies, get caught up on some news, see how your currency is performing. And you can follow us on Twitter at The Coin Offering, as well as email us at podcast at thecoinoffering.com if you'd like to get in touch. Here's a sneak peek at our next episode. In reality, a more accurate description of what's happening during the mining process is that miners are securing and powering the blockchain. And the result of this is a reward for the ones that win in this process. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.